Now to Florida tonight, where parents are outraged after police entered a middle school without warning with what looked like guns drawn. Students, some texting their parents for help. They were terrified. But what they found out next has many angry tonight. It was a drill. Here's ABC's David Wright. Lockdown drills in schools are now almost as common as fire drills. This is a drill we need to lock down. The kids ordered to huddle in a corner, preparing for that nightmare scenario. It's kind of scary, huh? Kind of, yeah. It's usually made clear to the kids it's only a drill. But not at this Florida middle school yesterday, when police, with AR-15 rifles like this one, burst into classrooms. Children and teachers believed they were really under attack. We actually thought someone was going to come in here and kill us. Seventh grader Lauren Marino frantically texted her mom. I'm panicking because I'm thinking that it's, you know, a legitimate shooter is coming. Cherise Tate's son was terrified too. His dad started racing to the school. It makes me upset. My husband almost got a ticket coming over here yesterday. He was doing 130. But there was no school shooting. This was all just a drill. Today, the school apologized to parents. Any drills that are conducted from this point forward will be without firearms being displayed. But school officials insist the element of surprise is important, noting, unfortunately, no one gets an advance notice of real-life emergencies. It's very scary. You know, you hear all this horrible stuff on the news, and then you think it might be happening at your child's school. The question is, how best to prepare kids without scaring the life out of them? David Wright, ABC News, Denver. Well, hello there, Mr. Chase. How about that shenanigan? So I come home the other day from work, and I'm talking to my son Dylan, who's in kindergarten, five years old, and he says, Daddy, we had another intruder drill today. Yeah, they're doing this in kindergarten. It's the new drop and cover, Chase. It's the new, it's the new, it's the new duck and cover. Like, uh, and you know, uh, they didn't warn the parents ahead of time. So these kids are texting their parents saying, hey, I think there's somebody in our school shooting. So like that, just like that dad, if I got that text, you bet my, you bet I would jump in the car and start driving towards the school. Chris. What do you, you think ha- of that? Y- All right. First off. Someone's going to come down on me because they're going to say, Chase, you don't have kids. Chase, you don't have kids. There, so I did it for him. You have no reason to you speak. You have no reason to speak. But I'm going to. Oh, okay. Um, I would be, if I was a parent, I would be absolutely 150% livid. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Livid. Yeah. Okay. Like, You're... you don't need to have guns. They don't need to be loaded. And okay. uh, you could warn the parents. Like, just all of that right there. If right. you're going to have to do these insane right. drills that traumatize children and yes. make them fear the boogeyman and make them suck from the teat of the yes. state, then fine. That's fine. you got to be safe. There's but a, warn the, the parents. There's a higher likelihood of a natural disaster probably affecting a school via volcano or earthquake or fire or tornado, especially if you're in the Midwest. Tornadoes are like every other day. Got to watch out for them tornadoes. Tech Dirt had a great uh, write-up on this where uh, they said, uh, you know, if you're going to do this, well, why do you stop there? Why stop there? Why not... uh, why not warn them? Why not show? Why not uh, worry the students about all the terrifying things, uh, like uh, burst into their rooms while they're sleeping occasionally and scream, "You probably won't be nearly as successful as you think you will." You know, like let's freak yeah. them out about everything, right? Right. I I I think it's it's uh, done. It's done preparing it, them for it, terrifying it, events. It, it, well, there's all kinds of terrifying events in the world. Well, it's it's 
Gosh, man, I hate going so conspiracy-ish so early. In <laughs> the show? But, yeah, yeah. But it, it almost feels like this is their way of trying to inject fear right. into kids right. that are not being connected to the news or what's so going on with the traditional media. Here's another media. clip, and it, I, this clip shows you a little more of just how dang dramatic it is. It's pretty bad. students and teachers to prepare for a school shooter, well, often by pretending there actually is one. These drills may help, but the drama can be intense, even if it's all an act. And it's not just the kids who say they're scared. Here's ABC's David Wright. I'm going to kill everybody! Nobody's getting out of here! It's every parent's worst nightmare. An active shooter on campus. Threatening to kill innocent kids. In this case, just a drill, but a terrifyingly realistic drill. And that's Look at this guy walking down the hallway holding a gun like this. It's now an issue. How do you strike a balance? Now, this is obviously a reenactment, but this is what they yeah, did. Between yeah. preparing kids and scaring the pants off them, it may be just a drill, but the trauma is real. Outside Tampa, Florida yesterday, parents and students say Jewett Middle School got it wrong. The school there held a drill without warning in which police officers showed up on campus, weapons drawn. Our principal had announced that we were going to have a lockdown. Seventh grader Lauren Marino and her siblings frantically texted their mom. Police came in with guns and I'm kind of scared. We actually thought someone was going to come in here and kill us. Now, this is just this is just too far. This is too it's ridiculous. It's way too far. It's way too far because here's the thing. A drill, uh, say a fire drill sure. or whatever, or sure. earthquake drill, sure. isn't going to have a kid at the end of the day at night saying, Daddy, is some bad guy going to come in and right. shoot me? Right, that's an awkward uh, I mean, conversation. These kids are seeing guns. They're seeing uniformed officers going all over the campus. Obviously, I know. You, do you want to hear my bacon? Oh. I, I have bacon. Oh, I, I know you do. You have kids, of course, <laughs> so you should have it's bacon. It's kind of going along your lines, though, of where you're going right yeah. now. So, What's uh, your bacon, well, Chris? By the way, this bacon, I gotta say, comes from Sonoma, California. Uh, really you good. You brought this high, back with you? I did. Thank high you. quality bacon, really good stuff. Uh, I think it's so that way they go home and they talk to their parents and say, Daddy or Mommy, what if somebody comes to my school and shoots me? And so then parents like hear that and you think about the weight that puts on a parent. Oh, totally. And then when it comes time to vote on gun legislation, See where I'm going? Yeah, I, I see where you're going, but the, the but the problem is, no, I, I think you might need to twist that story a little bit. All right. Twist that. All right. Instead of gun control, yeah. it's we need metal detectors. We need to lock down our campuses like a prison. We need police funding. We need poli- we, we it's need, like, you're right. It's way more things, right? It's, it's way, way more, more things. things. Yeah. It's like, it's like for example, uh, shortly after the Marysville shootings, you know, they started talking about metal detectors and, and talking about those kind of things, and they realized, well, Marysville Pilchuck wouldn't. It couldn't do that because it's such a big, open, sprawling campus. It's not like a traditional high school or maybe in the Midwest where everybody's in one big building or two big buildings. Right. Uh, so there's no way to lock it down. Uh, but gosh, I mean, how would you want to live in that world where you have to go through no. a metal detector no. every time you go to school? No. It's not like you work for the government or the, the White House where you have to go through that kind of a right, thing. Right. Or you're traveling no, every day I like a like businessman. If, if that, if Kids that, shouldn't have to do that. That's a failure of a society right there. Uh, I mean, and you know what? But I think you're right. I think it's about what do you always say, Chase? Show me the show money. Show me the money. Hey, 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 hey.
And, you know, uh, while we're on the topic of uh, generating money, uh, the Pentagon is uh, looking for, oh, I don't know, $7.5 billion. Oh, that's it? The Pentagon is going to spend $7.5 billion to make emergency fixes to its nuclear weapons infrastructure. That according to an announcement by Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel on Friday. Now, this comes after two separate Pentagon studies found there are systemic problems with manpower shortages, aging infrastructure, and the inspection system for America's nuclear program. To discuss these reports. Now, do you think it's a do you think it's a coincidence that we've had all of these firings from this you, program? You know, when I heard about this, my flags went off. I was just like, yeah, yeah. I know we're going to talk about this. We've had all the this. officials. We've had that. We've was been this? seeing this for 17 a while. Seventeen officials now have been fired yeah. or something like that, yeah. and then then they announced seven point nine billion or seven. I'm sorry, seven point five billion. Why do they need so much money? Because this it is in a bad state. It is in a really bad state. Like, it is straight out of the 70s technology. It is in a bad state. Whoa, that old? It's really bad. It's like, like, it's like pre-computer, some of that stuff. Like, did they correct any of the Y2K bugs? I assume <laughs> they did, right? I don't think those things even had those Y2K bugs, Chase. <laughs> Vacuum tubes, I'm sorry. You know Vacuum what? Tubes. There could be another thing they need money for. Uh, did you hear about this story uh, about uh, these uh, Cessnas that are flying around with these dirt boxes built by Boeing? Yes. Let's play a little bit yeah. of this. Those reports of spying on your cell phone? Tonight we're learning more about a program used by the Justice Department. Planes taking off from five airports in this country, all of them tracking cell phone data and locations. Authorities say it's used for criminals, but does the program scoop up your information too? No, of ABC course not. senior justice correspondent Pierre Thomas leading wait, us Wait, off. wait, wait. Let's, mm-hmm. let's see what he says. Yeah. Do you think... Charum, do you think? Do you think, Charum? Do you think that yeah. they're spying on Americans? Hmm. Hmm, let's find out. Tonight, new questions about whether the government is scooping up the personal cell phone data from thousands of innocent Americans. An investigation by the Wall Street Journal has uncovered a secret program designed to track down fugitives, suspected killers, rapists, and other criminals. You know, and citizens. Right. It allows the U.S. Marshals to pinpoint the location of your phone from the sky without you knowing it's happening. Here's how it works. The Marshals launch a small plane carrying a device called a dirt box, which acts like a mini cell tower. What I love about this dirt box is so it flies over. the terminality. I know, right? Uh, And uh, it's built by Boeing. So good U.S. corporation building devices to to spy on uh, U.S. citizens. Got to love that. Right. And this thing flies over. And because it's stronger than your local tower, because it's closer and has a high signal, your phone switches over to it. Over a populated area, it picks up identifying pings from thousands of phones below until it finds its suspect. Pinpointing that person's location within a three-yard radius, even in a specific room. When they put it on an airplane, they get information on tens or hundreds of thousands of people. And, you know, that's just an outrageous uh, uh, and unreasonable bulk search of, of innocent Americans' phone information. That's an ACLU lawyer. But tonight, a source with knowledge of how the program works tells ABC News... As soon as the plane lands, all information from other phones is deleted. Now, this is their big contention point here. Well, look, yes, we admit we did get caught collecting all of this U.S. citizen data. But look, guys, we promise as soon as we land the plane, really, bro, as soon as we land the plane, we delete all of the yeah, data. Yeah, well, we just put the memory card yeah. in, we wipe it, we don't format worry. format C colon every time. <laughs> don't worry about it. 
Sources tell us the government planes take off from unidentified airports at five key locations around the nation. Actually, they said at a minimum of five. It could be actually a lot more than five locations. Now watch what they're going to do here. They're going to reiterate the key point they want you to take away from this report. But the sources say the technology is only used on a case-by-case basis under court order and only when they're hunting for dangerous suspects when every minute counts, Dave. Yeah, they don't fly them over all the time constantly. And for good measure, let's reiterate a third time. And Pierre, they say they wipe out the data scooped up on people who aren't criminals. Yes, David, I didn't just say that two times. (laughs) David, as soon as the plane lands, they say the information about everyone else is deleted. All right, well, it got our attention today. Pierre, thank you. Yeah, it got our attention. And now we won't talk of it again. Thanks, Uh, Pierre. Yeah, and now let's talk about kids and guns. Uh, So uh, that's pretty creepy. And I think what it shows you is that uh, we we think we've seen all with the Snowden revelations, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of other operations going on from different divisions. There's different agencies that are spying on us. And one that was going to get a big curb, well, at least a, a mild curb, was the NSA, the Freedom Act. Uh, it went for a vote yesterday. Here's a little information about it before we talk about the results. Well, NSA reform is now officially back on the agenda, and a possible vote on key legislation could happen as early as this week. This comes after Democratic Senator Harry Reid announced that he would seek a full Senate vote on the USA Freedom Act. It's the legislation that was introduced just a year ago as a way to rein in the National Security Agency's controversial surveillance programs, which former government contractor Edward Snowden revealed had been spying on millions of unsuspecting Americans. The bill would place more limits on the agency by mandating the government seek court approval for surveillance activities. It would also shift control of American metadata of communications, such as time and duration of phone calls, from the NSA to the telephone companies. But what might this bill be missing? Well, actually, one thing she, uh, probably the most important thing that she missed is it also would put a public advocate on the FISA court. Oh, yeah, that's probably that would, the, that most that important. actually defend. Yeah, because the metadata thing is actually already kind of happening. The private industry has already begun storing that themselves. Uh, and so it was really, I think, the thing that we cared the most about is that public advocate. Now, you might have already heard the news. Uh, interestingly enough, not a I mean, it's kind of interesting. I guess it's not too surprising, but not a single mainstream news outlet has covered the results of this vote. Why? I am not shocked by that, Chris. I guess I'm kind of surprised that none of them have. I mean, none yeah. of the none of the uh, uh, ones that produce uh, video and sound. Uh, so the Senate voted against reigning in the NSA spying powers. The uh, U.S. Freedom Act was shot down. It needed 60 Senate votes to pass, uh, and it just barely got in there. 58 yes votes, 52 no votes. Now, do Two we know, more votes, we would have had it. Now, do we know along party lines how it went? Oh, God. Um, no, almost, almost universally Republican. And I watched the whole damn thing. And Chase... And oh, uh, you mean for or against universally Republican? Against it. Okay. Uh, so uh, the Republicans uh, and the Intercept did a great job of writing it up. Essentially, the, they all followed the same script. Literally, one ranking intelligence committee member went up there, uh, Saxby Chambles. We all love Saxby, of course, right? Oh, everybody loves Saxby. Uh-huh. He goes up there and he stre- He just goes on and on. He stretches out his whole time. He goes just like this, Chase. I I I, I uh, summarized it for you. Okay. Uh, get your bell ready. I'm ready. Oh, hold on. All right, go for it. This is this was his argument against uh, the U.S. Freedom Act. Right. Uh, 9-11, ISIS, ISIL, 9-11, ISIS, 9-11. And then, seriously, it was that was that order. And then every freaking guy that got up after him followed the same exact pattern. And they it was cute, Chase. They even pretended like they said something different. And they like made a little show and went and sat down like they just. But they all said the same exact thing. 
ISIS and 9-11. ISIL, 9-11. <laughs> Every time. And then it failed to pass. And it wasn't, oh, the, it wasn't amazing legislation, but it at least would have put a public advocate on the FISA court. Yeah. Which would be big alone. Now, I mean, they're so used to like slicing and dicing bills. Why couldn't they just go ahead and say, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll take out these parts and put in the other ones but like well, that's I, that's where some of the democrats came in and said this isn't good enough because it's been gutted down too much but Rand paul even voted no on it though and he's a yeah. big r though uh, i don't know what i don't know what his reason is well he uh, says it wasn't tough enough maybe that seems like a pretty crappy reason uh your buddy my good friend ted cruz who oh we're gonna, no he's not my friend who we're gonna play <laughs> i don't some, like him at all <laughs> we have some net neutrality clips from him too coming up in a little bit but uh, uh he actually i mean we got to give credit where credit is due yeah had the best pro speech out of everybody. Really? Many months ago, the American people were astonished to learn that the federal government was collecting bulk metadata of personal cell phones from millions of law-abiding citizens. This legislation protects the constitutional rights of privacy under the Fourth Amendment while maintaining important tools to protect national security and law enforcement. This is bipartisan legislation that enjoys the support of the intelligence community, and also the tech community. The bill is not perfect, but in my view, we should take it up and consider reasonable amendments on the floor to make it better, but it is imperative that we stand together united protecting the Bill of Rights. There you go, and his time has expired. What? Wait. I know, right? Wait, wait, wait. Is this the same Ted Cruz that we had on the show last week? So, I mean, here's the thing. This is what what doesn't square with me with the Republicans, is aren't they supposed to be small government conservatives? Yeah, totally. anything that reigns in a massive, overreaching government program that has a black black hole of money and is violating the Constitution seems like the exact kind of thing that a small government conservative would want to shut down. And I think that's Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is a dick, but he's a consistent dick. And he's a small government conservative yeah but the but the problem with him being a dick is he also brings in aspects uh, that shouldn't even be involved in politics yeah and that's the problem i know with i was Ted amazed he, i was amazed he didn't say obamacare or or, that, uh, or put god in there somewhere yeah i was that was incredible yeah <laughs> and that that'll be yeah. the best clip we play of ted cruz for the night <laughs> maybe even for the rest of the year yeah, i'll I, 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 be too hard Chris, i'm gonna go on on a yeah. stretch on that Red one. book there chase <laughs> Uh, so uh, I, I, there you go. The U.S. Freedom Act uh, dies and burns uh, in the Senate. Are we going to see uh, a form of it back in the next two years? Yeah, I mean, right. it's probably doubtful just because of the the, the formation of Congress. And now. and by the way, uh, don't don't uh, let the Democrats um, trick you. They had plenty of time to fix this. Sure, they had a majority when Obama came into power. Yeah, they had their chance to make this better. And now, now that it's a lame duck session and the Republicans have the majority. They get to roll over and play victim and say, oh, look what these evil Republicans aren't letting us do. Well, that's true, but you didn't do anything when you had the chance either. And now you get to look like the good guys, and you're already setting yourselves up for the next election, you bunch of bastards. Yeah, Congress hasn't done jack. And the the thing is now, obviously, you know, you have this big battle that I, I know we're going to talk about with uh, with immigration probably for sure. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. If we have time, Chase. Yeah, maybe. If we have time. Maybe. It's not my favorite yeah, topic. Yeah, no, I know. But, but, but what I'm saying, though, is now you're you're going to have – Congress versus the president. That's really what it's going to come down to yep. over the next two years. And it's going to be like very fun. Just net neutrality. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we got some other stuff we could shift gears into. Um, but I, I know that you tweeted out a big tease this week. Um, 
really going to be driving the clicks uh, this week, Chase. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. You, you have a little story to share with the audience uh, since a small, last week. A small one. You so, went on a road trip. I, I did. I, I I head down to uh, the great Portland metro area. and uh, <laughs> Some great Portland metro area. Great Portland. Got Portland yourself Indy. a tax-free gadget, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Uh, you know, Here's a picture of it. Um, hey, that's an iPhone 6. That's an iPhone you get, 6. You got the Plus? I had the Plus. Well, you had the plus. I had the plus. <laughs> so great story here. First off, congratulations to my good friend, uh, good friends, uh, Mariah and Cameron. They celebrated their 15-year un-anniversary. What's an un-anniversary? They're not married. Oh. But they've been together for 15 years. Yeah. All right. So anyway, um, you know, I've told you, Chris, I've told many people, I've told my friends Joe and, and Cameron that, you know, hey, as soon as Apple comes out with a bigger screen iPhone, You're gonna I'm You're going to jump in. on it. I'm in. Even so, though it's too big. Hey, I have a OnePlus One. It's yeah. the same size, yeah, yeah, yeah. rough factor. That's too big. That's too big, too. Yeah. So anyway, I was down there looking for one of these phones. Uh, I've been looking for one up here, one actually. One of these iPhones? One of these iPhones. Okay, gotcha. And I found one. I mm. found one at an Apple store in, in the Portland metro area. You bought it. Tax-free. You know, had it in my hands. I activated it. Oh, actually, I didn't activate it. I just moved my. I actually trimmed my SIM card. And it, that worked, huh? Yeah, you you can trim a micro SIM to a nano SIM, and it fits in perfectly. Huh. Um, well, as long as you trim it right. Yeah, yeah. So I fit it in, and I got it going. Um, and I started using the phone. This beautiful iPhone six. Plus. iPhone six plus. Mm-hmm. And by the way, first off, props to Apple. I think it's a well designed uh, phone. <laughs> this is not going good. Well, when I, you start with the pros, then you know you're going to the cons. That's right. It's a sandwich, Chris. You, yeah. You've heard yeah. of the sandwich? Yeah. yeah. You start with the good. Yeah. You have the crap in the middle, and this you, is, you end care it up about with the, the fanboys. I pre- you don't want to hurt their feelings. No, no, no. Here's the thing. I think it's a very well machined device. The glass is nice. Sure. Yeah, yeah. The, the case is. I mean, it's a, it's a nice phone. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful phone. But uh oh. But um. There are some things that, you know, once I moved away from the iPhone from the 4S days, and now I moved into... To that Android there. To, well, first off, I went from the 4S to a OnePlus, uh, not to a OnePlus One, but the HTC One. It's a big jump. And then my One started crapping out on me. Yeah. And when it started crapping out on me, I didn't want to get another HTC because they kind of screwed me over on the yeah. customer service side. So I got an invite for the OnePlus One, and I've been very, very happy with it. And so when I went back to iOS for the for the weekend, some of the things that I got used to on Android, I couldn't do on iOS. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, for example, when I come to the studio and, and do the show with you, I send you a glimpse, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. So glimpse, I can go into glimpse, yeah. and I say, I want to send it to uh, your email, and yeah. I also want to send it to your Viber. Yeah. Well, you can't do that in iOS. You can't send right. directly to another program. Yeah, yeah. You have to copy, paste. Well, wait, can't you now with extensions? Nope. There is no extension oh. for Viber. Oh, so Viber hasn't made right. an extension. Those yeah. jerks. Yeah. Right. So that means I have to copy and paste and then mm-hmm. give you the link. That's mm-hmm. just one of the things. Mm-hmm. Second thing, and these are small things, but for me, it, it bugs. If I want to put an icon somewhere by itself, can't, I can't do can't that. can't do it. Um, that's, yeah, that's, the, yeah. the, the other thing, too, is in iOS, uh, some of the apps are not uh, primed, I guess you would say, for the bigger phones. So some mm. of the icon, some of the in uh, the keyboard's bigger in some of the apps, and some of the other apps are not. Don't you think that would be fixed up over time? I, I would figure it would be fixed up by now. The phone's been out for, what, over a month plus? Yeah, but uh, then developers have to update all their art assets and everything. I guess, yeah. but but I know what you mean. But you know, I, I I don't know much about app development. But it was it was it's just a, a 
Enough little things. Enough little things that just start become very, very be a high-end, expensive phone. Right, yeah. right. And so, you know, after all that said and done, um, I decided, you know what, I'll, uh, I'm just going to take it back. There you go. And I'm going to stick with my OnePlus One and might even get a Nexus 6. Whoa, that's big. Uh, because of the front-facing speakers. Yeah, I'm all about that. Yeah. I so didn't I realize to... at first the Nexus 6 even had front-facing speakers, but what it is is they just did them a little differently. Yeah, they have a like a little bit of a pop-out. A yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm thinking about doing that. Um, I'd be really curious to see what you think of the Nexus 6. Yeah. Um, all right. So there you go. There's a story. My 24 hours with the iPhone. By the way, I 24 was, hours after waiting that actually long. Actually, it was a little bit longer, but I put it in the box Sunday night when I got home. <laughs> wow, dude. And I took it back uh, yesterday during lunch. <laughs> that's a good story. Yeah. That's a good story. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, the uh, U.S., you know, it's not it's not as bad as an iPhone shortage, which you you, uh, <laughs> you know, experienced firsthand. I did. I did. The iPhone shortage is tough, man. That's real tough. But you know what else is tough? A drone shortage when you're fighting ISIS. <gasps> Today, U.S. warplanes strike another ISIS target from the air. The U.S.-led air campaign depends on intelligence, much of it supplied by pilotless drones. Eyes in the sky because no boots on the ground. <laughs> well, we have to put eyes in the sky because you, we're not allowed to put boots on the I, ground. Eyes in the sky because <laughs> no boots on the ground. Uh, even though we have thousands of boots on the ground. Uh, and if you look closely, this awesome surveillance footage, wait, you wait, might notice a little Windows Media wait, Chris, player. Hmm. didn't we, by the way, send observers yeah, over there? Yeah, thousands what, now. Yeah. What's the key word in that? Uh, they Observe? Are observing on so, the ground, actually. So, so I too. guess we... We can't observe now. Well, actually, and and well, the drones exactly. The drones are support are supplying air support for for these boots on the ground. This guy is just completely wrong. I mean, that the the entire reason we need these drones doing surveillance is to help our existing people that are over there. I just thought that was just a dumb remark he made. And then also remember how we gave uh, what was it uh, Korea a hard? I can't remember which who was that we gave them a hard time for using Windows Media Player in their uh, situation rooms to make it look cooler. Same thing happening here. If you notice this, all these drone uh, screens are using Windows Media Player. Pilotless drones. Eyes in the sky because no boots on the ground. Right there, you see it? Yeah. Boom. Ground. But now military commanders express growing concern that the U.S. is running short on drones, compromising the campaign's chances of success. Running short or just using the shit out of all of them? Or, or can Boeing not make enough? Or yeah, they're, they're too busy making those dirt boxes, I guess. <laughs> particularly in the area of intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance, and particularly because of uh, the fight now in Iraq and Syria. And there just is not enough of that capacity uh, to go around right now. And here's the reason. The U.S. military is now carrying out both surveillance and airstrikes against potential terror targets in several countries at once. From Iraq and Syria to Libya, Yemen, Somalia, and Afghanistan <laughs> and Pakistan. <laughs> I won't go into the specific... Short Hold on, we got to play that back. So those of you watching the video version, that is such a great visual of all the places we're killing people from the sky. Let's play this back again. Look at that. Look at that. Balance and airstrikes against potential terror targets in several countries at once. Yeah. From Iraq and Syria oh, yeah. to Libya, Yemen, Somalia, and Afghanistan and Pakistan. I won't that. go into the specific shortfalls, but um, we, we, we are concluding we will need more going forward than we might have thought a year ago. Today in Iraq, the Iraqi military scored a rare success, recapturing the crucial oil refinery at Baiji under siege by ISIS for months. And the U.N. envoy for Iraq told the Security Council that the new Iraqi government's strategy of enlisting Kurds and local tribes in the fight against Islamists is yielding results. Hey! 
good. This strategy is bearing fruit, Nikolai Mladenov told the council. I'm not shocked by that, by the way. Here in the U.S., however, the threat no, from ISIS is becoming yeah. clearer. Not only that, they probably want them out. I mean, you right. know, we've already talked about this. They are not happy that ISIS, ISIL, IS, however the hell you want to call them, want them out. The FBI raided the home of a Virginia woman, Heather Kaufman, who allegedly tried to arrange travel to Syria for an undercover agent who claimed he wanted to fight for ISIS. Now, with those essential drones, the challenge, say... That's an interesting throwaway there. An undercover agent who claimed he wanted to fight for ISIS. That was like a five-second... Like, it sounds like a huge deal, right? But, but wait, wait a minute. And why toss it at the end like yeah, that? Yeah, well, first off, this story is supposed to be about a drone Drones. shortage. And yeah. then all of a sudden they throw that in there? Let's play it again. The council. Here in the U.S., however, the threat from ISIS is becoming clearer. Ah, okay. Here in the U.S., however, so this other tying it together. Mate, got to bring it home. Got to bring it home. Yeah, you got to bring it home, but it still has nothing in relation to the drone. I agree. It's really weird. It's very weird. The FBI raided the home of a Virginia woman, Heather Kaufman, who allegedly tried to arrange travel to Syria for an undercover agent who claimed he wanted to fight for ISIS. So that would be a U.S. government official. Yeah, for an undercover agent. Right? Yeah. So what, was she a travel agent? And she, she was like, let me get you some travel. Let me go on kayak real quick. Let me get you some Now, tra- with those essential drones, the challenge, say, American commanders, and this, I suppose you could say, is always the challenge of combat, how to prioritize. Now, looking forward, the drawdown in Afghanistan will free up some of these air resources, but we'll f- another factor in this, of course, it is budget season in Washington, so oh. you're, you're going to have commanders pushing for as much equipment oh. as they possibly need going forward, because they've been given so much to accomplish, uh, they're making their argument for, for what they need going forward. No, oh, that's weird. Uh, so remember, we uh, weren't quite sure if uh, your buddy, my good friend, uh, Baghdadi, Al Baghdadi had been killed uh, by a uh, airstrike right. last week. We were on pins and needles waiting for a tweet, maybe yeah. from him to push yeah. out. And what do we got, Chris? We got a tweet today. A man believed to be the leader of the terrorist group known as ISIS or Islamic State told followers to explode volcanoes of jihad everywhere. Now I got it. You know, I what, I what do I laugh at that I, statement? Because you just realized that you should be using volcanoes more often in your descriptors, like. I have the rage of a volcano right now. I am so angry. I think this is nice. I like this. It's very poetic. Followers to explode volcanoes of jihad everywhere. I Abu Bakr al Baghdadi was heard on audio. It feels like a shirt's in there somewhere, right? Like a Teespring campaign. Only, but his statement today seems to have put one mystery to rest. Clarissa Ward is in our London newsroom tonight. Your girl. Clarissa, tell us about the volcanoes. Good evening, Scott. Well, this is Baghdadi's first message since the U.S.-led strikes against militants in Iraq and Syria began, a campaign that he calls a failure. But beyond the expected rhetoric and bluster, the main purpose of this 17-minute audio message appears to be to put to bed any rumors that Baghdadi was injured in coalition airstrikes last Friday. He makes specific mention of President Obama calling for 1,500 new U.S. troops Troops to go to Iraq, an announcement that the president also made last Friday. So if this... Hey, Chase, uh, yes, quick check. Yes, Chris, yeah. Uh, could you just double check, make sure that Chris is not, uh, Carissa here is not reading the um, the old script that we had in there for uh, Al-Qaeda and uh, bin Laden, because uh, releasing eerie audio tapes and calling out the U.S. president, I, I feel like we've already done this one we, before. We, we have, Chris. Yeah, I've, I've confirmed that already. Okay. This recording is authentic. It would appear... Oh, she says, if this recording is authentic. Oh, Let's play that back. Wait, wait so, so this is a... This- 
I'm sorry. Sorry. For yeah, that. no, it's okay. This is a national news organization, right? The, uh, the CBS Col- News, yeah. Uh, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Yeah, the Tiffany Network. The Tiffany Network. Mm-hmm. And they are broadcasting hearsay? Is that, is that true? Like, yeah. The- Yep. Okay, I just want to confirm nope, that. You got it. All right, yep. go ahead. Right, go ahead. Okay, last Friday. So if this recording is authentic, it would appear that he is indeed still alive. And oh. U.S. intelligence still working to authenticate the tape. Clarissa, thanks right. very much. Well, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe you should wait, yeah, Scott, until if it's confirmed. Because if it's not confirmed, what you just did was complete bull... You know, that's what I'm saying. So you know what Baghdadi said, according besides the volcanoes of jihad, uh, <laughs> is... Uh, <laughs> Now my now sure. my brothers, it is time to go after Saudi Arabia. And I I wondered at first. I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I came to this because I came to this backwards. I'm starting to collect clips for the Unfilter Show, and I'm noticing that all of the news networks are talking about ISIS moving into Saudi Arabia. ISIS oh, is moving into Saudi Arabia. Okay. Saudi Arabia is preparing for ISIS. Saudi Arabia has terrorist reformment camps in preparation for ISIS. I'm like, wow, what is all this stuff about ISIS? And then I see this Baghdadi tape comes out, and it's obvious that they're stepping up a notch, and we got a series of clips that's going to walk us through the new ISIS entering Saudi Arabia hype. Saudi Arabia is hoping a 600-mile fence will protect its border from ISIS militants. This morning, we're learning that the barrier might not be enough. Holly Williams gained access to a maximum security prison. She's in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, as the country aims to keep ISIS. So uh, so there she is in Jeddah right there. Now, if you're looking at this map, I just kind of want you to appreciate how far away that is from where the ISIS battle is. She's really far. Really far away. It's like if the border is California, she's... Probably in Louisiana. This is out. Holly, good morning. Good morning. As ISIS wages a brutal war for territory across Iraq and Syria, here in Saudi Arabia, they fear they're also a target for the Islamic extremists. Across the sands of the Arabian desert, Saudi Arabia has built a fence to protect itself from ISIS. It's 600 miles long, and it's equipped with radar and infrared cameras. On the other side is Iraq, where ISIS is killing, raping, and kidnapping civilians. Is this giving you uh, sensations of our immigration issue when they're showing a long fence and they're talking about how the evil people on the other side of the border? A little bit, but the only thing that's kind of weird to me is they've already shown that ISIS has tanks, and Toyota pickup trucks. Yes, yes. So, and rocket launchers. And rocket launchers. That and was, also they stole those three fighter jets. So for anybody now watching the video, the fence that they're talking about yeah. is a fence. Yeah, it's just it's a fence. It's a chain leak fence with some barbed wire on yeah, top. Yeah, just a fence. This is an impressive border fence. <laughs> but it may not be F enough you, to keep ISIS out of Saudi Arabia because hundreds of young Saudi men are fighting with ISIS in Iraq and Syria. Like this Saudi man who starred in an ISIS propaganda video preparing to become a suicide bomber, then blowing himself up. The Saudi Arabian authorities allowed us to visit this maximum security prison where they incarcerate convicted terrorists. Some of them is like coming back here from Syria, some from Iraq. 
But Saudi officials fear they won't catch all of their citizens who have been trained by ISIS and that they'll return home to attack their own government. General Mansour al-Turki told us ISIS poses a bigger threat than al-Qaeda ever did. So uh, uh, Jamin in the chat room says that maybe it's to keep refugees out more than it is to keep ISIS out. Yeah. It is more organized and therefore it's more dangerous. They do plan and they do try to control those people who work on their behalf. Saudi officials say they've arrested more than 150 ISIS operatives here in Saudi Arabia over the last year. But they also told us that more than 20 Saudi citizens are going to Syria to fight every month. Nora. Every month. All right, so let's keep wow. going as we, uh, wow. uh, we as we cover Saudi Arabia. Now, this is how they reform terrorists. And uh, take a note at Scott's skeptical tone. Islamic terrorist groups are finding many recruits in Saudi Arabia, and it's a sore subject for the Saudis, who are part of the U.S.-led coalition against ISIS. The Saudis claim that they have reformed thousands of terrorists, and Holly Williams got a rare look at how that's supposed to work. We have uh, instructor. Saudi Arabia's terrorist <laughs> reform center looks more like a hotel than a prison. Its inmates take courses in non-violent Islam. Are you are you listening to this shit that they are shoveling in your stupid face hole right now? And this do is... art as therapy. They do art, Chase. And look, that's raining blood on his art. The brain, it's the blood. They've all recently <laughs> served jail time for terrorist offences. This is a painting of, of Guantanamo. Yeah. This is such and a facade. This is so ridiculous. Saudi Arabia, and we're going to get into this. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll tell you exactly why they're doing this. They aren't allowed to appear on camera. But we were given a tour of their recreation facilities. Uh-huh. Comfortable living quarters. Some nice crappy couches. And special apartments for conjugal visits. Saudi Arabia is a fertile recruiting ground for Al-Qaeda and ISIS, and nearly 3,000 men have been treated here. But Dr. Hamid al-Shaigi denies Saudi Arabia bears any responsibility for fueling terrorism. Some people say that the conservative form of Islam that's practiced here in Saudi Arabia. I like that when they're accusing Saudi Arabia of having an influence over ISIS, the route that the mainstream media goes is their religion, not the finances. Is a kind of gateway to violent extremism. If that's true, then how come we have some uh, European, some British, some uh, Danish, some uh, Dutch went to Syria. The Saudis claim the three-month program has a success rate of over 80%. Yeah, I noticed the signs are in English too. And Colonel Omar Al-Zalal told us financial incentives are a powerful factor. Medical, schooling, uh, laundry, food. All free, all free. All free, yes. If they pass their exams, the Saudi government gives them an allowance, help finding a job, and even pays for their weddings. Over lunch, we met Abdul Rahman Al Hawaiti, a star graduate who's now studying engineering. Al Qaeda? Yeah, it is Al Qaeda. He told us he joined Al Qaeda in Yemen because he was angered by the U.S. invasion of Iraq. So, uh, why are we doing this, Chase? Uh, I, uh, you know what? Let's do a little. Let's ask the chat room. Why are we uh, covering Saudi Arabia like this? And uh, we or the media? The media. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> what What would be the reason? Why uh, 
Why, if you say, are we painting a picture, perhaps? What would be why, the reason for that? Why are we that? setting up uh, Saudi Arabia yeah. in this light? Why is the media right. being proactive? Right. Because this is really a proactive thing. Yeah, it is. It's setting it's, it's setting up a narrative yeah, about Saudi they're, Arabia. They're setting it up. One of our partners in the coalition. That's right. Uh, what would it be, chat room? Why, what would be the reason? Why set why you set this narrative up around Saudi Arabia? I mean, you know, they, they do provide some stuff to America. They I got mean, that oil chase. They got they that got oil. They got oil. So, uh, let's see. Uh, chat room, we're going to... Uh, you ready to pull the... Uh, you ready, chat? You, uh, uh, okay, here we go. I'm waiting for it. Give another chance. And the spot. All right, Chase, your choice. You can pick an answer. You can pick an answer. Well, I'm going to pick an answer from Anonymous. He's saying for stationing U.S. troops in Saudi Arabia. Mm, not bad. Not, not bad, bad. Not bad. Yeah. Uh, I think it's definitely got some. Uh, I think it's definitely about setting up a narrative around how there are partners in this. Right. Yeah, I think of so. Course. He's got a great point there. Yes. Yes. Uh, but I think you got to go back. What we? It's something we've talked about several times today in the show. Right, uh, and our uh, music might have it right there. We've linked to it several times, but here's one from the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. Uh, it says today, Saudi citizens continue to represent a significant sun- a funding source for groups in Syria, like ISIS. Uh, in recent years, they've funneled hundreds of millions of dollars to ISIS, including uh, also other groups in Syria. There is support for ISIS in Saudi Arabia itself, and the group directly, that ISIS being that group, directly targets Saudis in their fundraising campaigns. And uh, this clip also kind of ties in the oil aspect of this. So one of the ways that ISIS makes money is by capturing these oil refineries and selling that oil on the market for a lower price than pretty much everybody else which has been driving down the price of oil, amongst other things. But it's not the key thing driving down the price of oil. No, the key thing driving down the price of oil is actually Saudi Arabia itself. So we bring it all back to oil. Oil. The war with ISIS, the U.S. training rebel groups trying to overthrow Syria's President Bashar al-Assad, the growing tensions between Russia and the West. Is it all really as simple as oil? Well, in a word, yes. Here is a fact that most media is not reporting. Since June, when ISIS captured the oil-rich region of Iraq around Mosul and Kirkuk, the price of crude oil has actually dropped some 34%. From $112 a barrel to today, trading at just over $75 a barrel. Now, why is that strange? Because the demand for crude oil worldwide has not dropped by 34%. Now that's a key thing. A lot of people have been like, of course oil's going down. The demand is going down. That's no. the common logic. Nope. Now it is true. Chinese demand has slowed some, but there is speculation that the real reason for this sudden drop is being fueled by the Saudis. According to Rashid Abani, president of the Riyadh-based Saudi Arabia Oil Policies and Strategic Expectations Center, the reason for this dramatic drop in oil prices, deliberate action by the Saudis. If you uh, do a little digging uh, around and uh, look up uh, uh, President Ronald Reagan working with Saudi Arabia to lower the price of oil to damage Russia, Reagan, back in the early 80s, wow. specifically worked with Saudi Arabia to to weigh up the amount of oil on the market, to drive down the price, to weaken the Russian economy, to eventually lead to the collapse of Russia. Wow. So this is something that we have done in the past, not so long ago. According to globalresearch.ca, the U.S.-Saudi oil price manipulation is aimed at destabilizing several strong opponents of U.S. globalist policies. Targets include Iran and Syria, both allies of Russia. The principal target, however, is Putin's Russia. 
The speculation is that the strategy is similar to what the U.S. did with Saudi Arabia in 1986. It was then that they flooded the oh, I'm sorry, was, I thought it was earlier than that. world with Saudi oil, collapsing the price to below $10 a barrel and destroying the economy of the then-Soviet ally Saddam Hussein in Iraq, ultimately of the Soviet economy, paving the way for the fall of the Soviet Union. So are the Saudis and the U.S. at it again? Is the attempt here to overthrow Assad, to finance rebels, all of it linked to the emerging natural gas market? I was joined earlier by... And I'll leave the rest of the clip in the uh, supporter sink, but I think that... So it's pretty fascinating. So the, the media is pretty busy... Uh, making Saudi uh, Arabia, Saudi Arabia, which uh, buys an incredible amount of advertising in the United yeah, States through a totally. bunch of different companies, yeah. uh, and is all part of this coalition. So there's obviously yep. an incentive there as yes. well. But in reality, uh, they were one of the key players, along with Qatar, in financing. The CIA provided training and weapons and money and communications gear and vehicles. The State Department really supplied a lot of these things. Uh, training came from the CIA. Equipment and vehicles came from the State Department, and money came from Saudi Arabia and Qatar. You bring Bring all these things together. That, ladies and gentlemen, is where ISIS came from. So now that's why they're now they're. But see, as we go along this, we're just building this ISIS. You know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about we're building the jails and the jailbreak backstory. Yeah, right now we're building in how Saudi Arabia is a reforming country. They right. use all of their oil money they're to gr- pay for these terrorist lives yeah, to be better. Yeah, look at this. Yeah, I mean, obviously, and then obviously the fence, as we talked about, was probably about that refugee situation. Mm-hmm. They want to keep those guys out. They want to. But you got to paint that fence in a nice light, yep. so that way they don't get crap for it. Exactly. Uh, and you know what? ISIS not slowing down, Chase. Uh, not no. only do they are they still they have their beheadings going on still, but they plan to mint their own ISIS coin. And what? over the weekend, ISIS released a new video of the execution of a Western hostage, Peter Kassig, an American aid worker, was beheaded along with at least 18 Syrian army soldiers. The White House administration has confirmed the authenticity of the tape, and although some analysts have called the last video a sign of desperation. Some facts prove otherwise. ISIS has released a statement that it is planning to mint its own gold, silver, and copper coins. Their currency has already an estimated exchange rate, and the group has promised to disclose where someone can buy it. I'm just saying collector's edition. I'm just saying collector's edition. Late night television. So we've had more beheadings, and these beheadings are much different than the past beheadings. Uh, the biggest differentiator that stuck out to me, single camera. You don't actually get to see the uh, the guy before they behead him. You just see him after he's already dead. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So the much bigger reduction in production. I wonder if they're having a different pe- uh, group do it now or what. Uh, the uh, official U.S. Uh, explanation for the reduction in uh, production quality, because the State Department was actually asked about this, is they think that they're so worried by coalition-led airstrikes that they're, they don't want to put out multiple cameras because... We might see it and then know where to target. I see. It's a possibility. So they're going with a single camera setup and what, like a live view or something like that? Probably, yeah. Okay. And probably uh, hooking that up to live stream and then just publishing directly to YouTube, I would imagine. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so now we're on the hunt for a new bad guy. We, no, we don't just have Baghdaddy anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Jihadi John. U.S. intelligence officials believe that the ISIS executioner, known as Jihadi John, is also responsible for the beheadings of Americans James Foley and Stephen Sontloff and British nationals David Haynes and Alan Henning. 
Jihadi John is, is definitely a, a marked man. The world's intelligence agencies uh, would love uh, to, to get to him. He's believed to have lived in London and had ties to extremists living there, according to U.S. intelligence officials. Got to make sure we get that Western connection so we can continue to justify the erosion of Western rights. Right. You claim to have withdrawn from Iraq four years ago. Investigators have used voice analysis to trace his British accent and used human sources to try and pinpoint his identity. He's believed to, to have been based around uh, Raqqa, the ISIS headquarters town uh, in Syria, which is a real stronghold for them. ISIS has ratcheted up the brutality in its latest video, appearing to show multiple beheadings of Syrian soldiers. But in a first, the video does not show the hostage, Peter Kasich, prior to his death. Experts say the video shows that ISIS may be wary of coalition airstrikes. They're afraid that having multiple cameras out in the open could serve as a giveaway for people targeting them from the sky. Oh, there yes. you go. There you go. So uh, so Jihadi John is our new bad guy we're looking out for. Uh, one more to file in the ISIS category before we get out of here. We'll just play a little bit of this until we get bored, and then we're going to move on to net neutrality. Um, are you worried about ISIS, ISIL. getting a nuke, Chase? Because no. you should be. Is ISIS no. even capable of interested in uh, developing a nuclear weapon? No. Or getting their hands on one? <laughs> no. What do you think? No. no. The official U.S. national security strategy says that the number one threat to America is the risk of a nuclear terrorist incident. Now, how about that for an answer? Wow. So it's not a yes, but it's not a no. It's, well, some people in the government think that's a concern. So now let's spend a few minutes scaring everybody. Uh, to be frank, that threat has declined over recent years as we broke up and scattered al-Qaeda. But the emergence of ISIS completely changes that calculus. Of course. We have never seen a group like this. Never seen a group like this. Completely spread out, a, a built up of individuals, decentralized, completely unorganized. I'm sure that's what he's about to say. They are different from any other terrorist group we've seen. They control large chunks of territory, including urban centers. They have an enormous financial resources, maybe as much as $2 billion, and an international recruitment network that could be used to bring in nuclear expertise. Boy, when you say it like that, that sounds almost organized. Or yeah. deliver a bomb should they build one. The risk right now of ISIS getting a nuclear weapon is small, but it's not zero. So the president's right to be concerned about this. I mean, this is almost... This is this is beyond unresponsible journalism. This is 100% manufactured fear porn right here. Right. Well, not only that, but Great you know, this, A. this spoke hole is is on right here, obviously pushing the industry. Yeah. That's why he's there. Yeah. Yeah. They never I mean, disclose that. No, no, they won't. They won't because then that would be too blatant. Chris. I know. I know, Chase. I that, know. That's why they're yeah. Hey, uh let's uh let's really quickly before we get to the net neutrality stuff. Let's talk about how people can keep this show on the air. And we need right. some support. I, I, I we haven't picked up anybody since last week, I don't think. I well, I thought we did. A did couple. we 340 yeah. I thought we were at like 346 last week and yeah. now we're at 345 I'm, I'm not this sure, week. But... I'm hurting, Chase. I'm hurting. And you know, it's okay. It's okay. I know it can be tight during the holidays, but if yeah. you like the Unfiltered show and you appreciate what we're doing and giving you the access to the information and covering it just so that we we have our version of the people's events. Uh, we could use your support. Unfilter is definitely documenting an interesting time in the world. A lot's going on, but there's also, I think, a meta story that we're documenting, and that's sort of the transition of power. The power from, say, in the United States, from a democracy to an oligarchy, and things that are happening around the world that I think we struggle to understand, but we piece together a bit by bit every single week, and hopefully bring you a little sanity in the process right now when you become a member of the unfilter family by joining us on patreon that's at patreon.com slash unfilter 
We give you perks. Now, if you decide to come in at a level of $5 or more per month, when not only you get access to this show that mm-hmm. you're already hearing now, but we give you access to what we call a supporter sync. And what that includes is all these audio clips that you've heard on today's show and maybe the sums that we didn't get to, like in the oh, overtime folder oh, and things see, like that. How big is that overtime huge, folder? Huge, Chase, huge. I'm looking at, let's see, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now yeah, on the screen ahead. here, Chase. Look at all them. Look at all them clips in the overtime folder. Some good stuff, too. Now, this is stuff we didn't have time to get no, to. But no. well, There's you, a great, great interview between Laura Poitras and John Stewart on here about oh, her new sweet. Edward Snowden documentary. Uh, I have uh, some more ISIS clips in here, uh, more clips on this f- uh, cell phone surveillance by the uh, feds, uh, information about the Capitol construction, some Alex Jones clips in here, some marijuana stuff, the Saturday Night Live clip about marijuana is in there. A lot of good stuff yes. in the supporters sync this week. Yep. So uh, you get access to that. Also, I'm going to be putting together some link posts for the supporters. And i got a few other goodies in the works. I'm sort of retooling the, uh, the format of the show because we've had a new format for a while that has a lot of advantages for me production wise and so we're gonna, we're kind of kind of landing on something new that we'll have more codified later on and you can help us keep going over at patreon.com slash unfilter. Now, we know there's a lot of you out there who listen to our show that may not be uh, unfilter fans or uh, Patreon fans, but it's one of those things where it's just, you know what? All we care about is you guys who support us on Patreon because because really, you, you're the ones who fuel this show because mm-hmm. without you, you're the boss. there wouldn't be no show. That's who we report to, all 345 of you. You can also support the show in other ways. Being here live is a way to help. Sharing the show, you know, sending the a link show. on YouTube or Google+, liking it on Facebook, whatever. Participating in the Unfilter Reddit also helps. Yeah, We appreciate right. that, too. Yeah. There's many free ways of doing it. So there has been a thank you, everybody, by the way. Your supporters rock. We love this you. This is your show. You know, we call this a supporter show. It's your show. This, this show, is your show is for the supporters. Everybody else who's not a Patreon is is essentially and, has you to thank and, and if really, you're a supporter. And really, Chris, all 123 shows are supporter shows because every single one is for them. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about net neutrality. Oh, uh, yes. First of all- uh, our, By the way, last week's show, awesome. I, I thought we had a good- I loved it. I thought, I thought we good. had a good talk. Yep. And uh, one of the things we got from our audience is, even for people outside the U.S., is thank you for covering this because we have a feeling it's going to set precedent. And it looks like some net neutrality battles are already beginning across the pond. Uh, David Cameron is saying that people aren't being radicalized by foreign policy, uh, by the restrictions on free speech, or horrible economic conditions. People are being radicalized because of easy access to the Internet, according to David Cameron. And uh, he wants to lock that down, shut down of some of that net neutrality stuff over there. So we got information in the show notes about that. And now it appears a bunch of the big UK broadband access providers are agreeing to play along. The major Internet service providers, BT, Virgin, Sky, and TalkTalk, have this week committed to a host of public reporting buttons for terrorism materials online, similar to reporting buttons which allow the public to report child sexual exploitation. They've also agreed to ensure that terrorist and extremist material is captured by their filters to prevent children and young people from coming across them. So we're taking that porn filter now that we talked about before on the show, right. and we're expanding it now to terrorist material. Well, Chris, you know what I Didn't always, see that one coming, you know, you know what I always say, Chris? You know, if you see something, you say something. And now you can say something and have it filtered out for everybody. And you just can click on it. How long until Unfilter shows up in that filtered list? I bet <laughs> we might already be there. I think we're already there. Uh, and uh, so uh, Ted Cruz has still gone out. He's been talking about net neutrality. I have a 13 minute clip in the uh, supporter sync, and also a 30 minute clip in the supporter wow. sync for the main show. We're going to do like a one minute 30 clip of him talking about net neutrality. Oh wait, there's this, there's more net Ted Cruz. Just a little bit. Well, because he's the he's the biggest uh, uh, c- opponent of net neutrality out there right now, yeah. making the yeah, most that's noise. True. And I feel like so far we've read his words, but we right. haven't got to hear his argument in his own voice. So, And he does do a good job of summarizing 
the most stringent anti-net neutrality debate. So I think we should play it on the show. All right. And we can discuss it as we go. Okay. And this is actually from his YouTube channel. And uh, so you can find it on the Ted Cruz YouTube channel if you want the whole thing. This is about... And it starts here with a clip of uh, Senator Franken talking about net neutrality. Reclassifying something so it stays the same. This would keep things exactly the same as they've been. I, I don't actually like this argument. This is not That's really not true. true. It's not true. No. Because it, things right now have been an open market competition. Not necessarily have not worked out great, but it's yeah. not actually keeping things the same. That's no. that's actually a distortion of the truth as well from the pro-neutrality side. Well, you could just look at traffic shaping that uh, Comcast was doing to Netflix, and you look at those, uh, those yeah. charts of latency, and as soon as they sign that agreement... Boom. That's not even traffic shaping necessarily. That oh, was just um, not preferred interconnects and things right. like that, making yeah. them go over longer distances and inefficient routes and Letting things like that. Letting congestion to occur. Right, and making like them that. come through the same ways that like right. Joe Schmo's come through, where Netflix, in, in a way, Netflix is doing these direct agreements, and it's sort of a it's a free market version of these special agreements. So, I, again, what Senator Franken here is saying is not necessarily accurate either. Out reclassifying something so it stays the same this would keep things exactly the same that they've been so now ted cruz is going to respond to what about that as they do what happens when government starts regulating a service as a public utility it calcifies everything it freezes it in place now we did kind of say this could be a concern yeah let's give a simple contrast the telecommunications act of 1934 was adopted to regulate these. And he's holding up an old telephone, a really old stereotypical yeah, telephone. Yeah, I mean, like, rotary dial kind of a thing. To put regulations in place, and what happened? It froze everything in place. This is regulated. He's putting his hand on the old phone. By Title II. He pulls out his iPhone, holds it up. This is not. Your smartphone, the internet, the apps, all of this is outside of Title II. The innovation is happening without having to go to government regulators and say, Mother, may I? We want a whole lot more of this. See, there's a... There's a problem with his argument, mm-hmm. and, and it's like gnawing at me right now. And, and the problem with his argument is that... Major players like Comcast, as a prime example, have paid and and lined politician pockets mm-hmm. to get bills, to get laws passed in states where they couldn't, uh, where states couldn't innovate, where companies couldn't expand, right. and get involved in fiber development or, or shutdowning of municipal Wi-Fi. And exactly, things like that. and and so while yes, it's true that. You know, the phone companies back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s were kind of hindered in that, uh, you know, innovation state, I guess. It's a nice little prop, I guess. But the thing is, if we can get rid of those favoritism laws for Comcast and these other major ISPs, which is never going to happen, it's only going to get worse. Yeah, so this is – so I guess my my issue is his – if I'm to follow his his argument, it's where we're at today isn't so bad. And where we might go with Title II could be real bad. 
And the thing is, is it's, it, a lot of times when human beings have arguments, we argue about what could happen. What if this happens? And we argue about it from a standpoint as if we are unable to fix things once they go bad. Like we can't make corrections and adjustments once things are set. And it is much harder once things go into uh, you know the legislative process. I honestly, I would feel a lot better about net neutrality if we had like Title Three, if we just had a whole new set of right. regulations we could yeah. apply to it. Arbitrarily picking regulations from uh, Title Two doesn't seem like a, a great strategy see, to me. See, I, I get the fact that companies like Comcast or we'll put Verizon in there, Frontier or whoever, don't want to build an infrastructure for their customers and for their people yeah. only to have another company come in there and provide service over that. Right. I get that. Right. I mean, uh, That's AT&T's argument right, right now about their fiber rollout. And, and, I, and I get that. But at the same time, on the other side of the coin, they're saying, well, then you can't let any other competitor in this town because they, they sign exclusive franchise agreements and all these things. So yeah. Yeah. When, when last week I talked about you know municipal fiber and mm-hmm. municipal broadband. I'm for kind of a – I'm stealing this line – a hybrid approach, if you will, where, all right, let, let's let say take our, our cities here. Let them set up a, a fiber backbone, if you will, or just put in the infrastructure and then let any company – you know, provide service. That's what they do out in Chelan County. That's what they do in Wenatchee. There are four to five different companies yep. that you can go and get your internet through. But yeah. the backbone was built up by the government, and then they, then they just you know they set up that infrastructure because they knew if any other company would do it, they lock out everybody else, and there would be no competition. So where I see us going right now is uh, in in no good direction either way. We're never going to have a functional government where we could get something like Title Three created. That's never going to happen. We're never going to have a functional government where uh, the proper kind of competition will be fostered. That just doesn't seem to be happening because of the way they can buy off the politicians. And if we go to Title II, uh, I, I don't really know what's going to be bad about it other than it does seem like a failure to properly in- innovate and properly foster competition. And it, But it seems like that's not going to happen anyways. It's impossible now. So if that's impossible, then what's left? Well, see, he, the companies themselves have kind of pushed this position too. Where you know they've locked, obviously they've locked everybody out because they don't want competition. But at the same time, when you don't have competition, what happens? You get rising prices, you get lower quality of service because you have no place to go to to say, you know, I'm going to go to somebody else. I mean, we talked about this last week. You couldn't go to DSL and yeah. still do this network. Right. You just couldn't do it. Right. And so, see, and a lot yeah. of times people think of it as in the last mile, where your connection here at the house, and that is definitely the area I struggle with. But you and I have different ISPs in different locations, and we have seen a a fundamental failure to invest in the core infrastructure in our state. Yes. So that way, sometimes when it gets busy, it doesn't matter what ISP you're on, you have dropped packets, you yep. have high latency, right. because these ISPs in their comfy positions are not investing in their core gear. Right. And as N-mile connections go up and get faster, the core gets more data, and they're not properly handling that. And, and then you have companies that have dual or you know three or four different vested interests. Going back to Comcast, they're an internet service provider, but they're also a content provider. And so what happens yeah, that's is dirty play, there, there's a huge conflict of internal interest where, you know, yeah, they want to be the internet leader, but at the same time, they don't want people just on internet only uh, and not watching their programming. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, there needs to be uh, like just pure ISPs where they're not involved in content in any way. I, I don't know what the full answer is on this. But obviously the system that we have today, right now, before any kind of new uh, legislation is passed, is flawed. It's broken. 
and it's it's broken on so many levels that even if we get this title two that a lot of people want, it may not fix that either. So I want to play just a couple. Let's just play a couple more things. I won't play much because this is a long clip, and I'm just jumping around in it right now. We'll see what else he has to say, though, because he's got more. The government seizes the authority. How do you think it worked out for the phone? We want competition and innovation, and in the delivery, we're seeing more and more competition grow in the provision Ted. of Internet services, and no, we want to keep no, we're not. the federal government out of it. We're not, really. We're seeing Google. To preserve the innovation that exists on the Internet. Federal government power only moves one direction. It only grows. And so, listen, there are a lot of folks in the tech world who legitimately believe, gosh, I need to be protected against giant companies. And listen, I'm as frustrated with my, you know, I've got a cable company. I'm frustrated with them. Anyone who hadn't yelled at an airline has never flown. You know what, Ted? (laughs) Ted? Ted? Here's the problem with your argument, Ted. That unlike an airline, if you have a problem, say, well, pick Delta, for example. Right. How many other airlines do you have to choose from? Yeah. Southwest. Yeah. Alaska. United. United. Yeah. You name it. Yeah. Ted, you just mentioned your cable company. How many other cable companies? And I'm not talking satellite, you guys. How many other cable companies do you have? I bet you it's just one. And that's the problem, Ted. No one is. No one can go ahead and, and compete because they have no way to compete because Comcast, which is probably your company, or Time Warner or whoever, has already locked you out. One and the same soon. Here, I'll play a couple more minutes. If I'm ever arrested, that's probably will be the context. <laughs> but it's not a good thing when the federal government comes in and begins regulating pricing in terms of service. I don't know and if by do the that. way, if anyone thinks the federal government coming in regulating will somehow help the little guy, I got a bridge to sell you in Amarillo. About them pauses, huh? Whenever the federal government comes in and they put regulations, I promise the regulations over and over and over again will favor the big guys that have armies of lobbyists in there and will end up putting more burdens on the startups and the entrepreneurs. Why do you think we're seeing the Internet sales tax? That has nothing to do with it. Because all the mom and pops don't have armies of lobbyists. So Washington listens to the big guys and tries to put barriers in place to new entrants. I think this is an interesting um, If the FCC turns the Internet into a public utility, the very same thing will happen. The federal government will listen to the giant companies at the expense of all the startups. And let's be clear. Look, I don't have anything against big guys. If if you're big because you made a better mousetrap, fantastic. As long as you keep selling a better mousetrap, fantastic. And the day you stop is the day you go under. But what has made the Internet different? So his argument is if we go the Title II route, well, once we've decided to make that decision, then the big companies will just be like, all right, well, now we have to work within that context, and they'll just train their lobbying army on making that work well for them. Right. That is potentially yeah. a realistic worry. I thought of a, a kind of a, a parallel uh, kind of analogy in a way. 
so uh, a, a company that you know we uh, we we've covered a couple of times on the show, and I, I think is pretty cool is Tesla. Mm. Uh, and Tesla, you know, they they received uh, government grants to get themselves off the ground mm-hmm. and and build their technology, and now. Thanks to that. And by the way, they've already paid back their government loans. Hmm. Uh, they've already paid back all that money. And now you, you hear about these fights that are happening in states recently. There's just one in uh, Michigan mm-hmm. where they wanted to open up their mm-hmm. own style of de- dealerships in a way. Um, and so they're competing against the big guys, uh, you know, the, the small, you know, automotive company. I think we need to incentivize companies – and and not lock out mm. companies to to do this sort of thing to do like the sonic ISPs like in California. That's the for depressing example. thing though. That's not going to happen. No, I really don't think so. Well, there's too much money involved by the major players right now. So uh, we we really, anyways, I, I don't feel like we have any more progress on this topic no. other than just kind of that's where it's at, and yeah. the the debate continues to rage on, and we'll continue to follow it and give you updates here in the show. Yeah. We played Ted Cruz's piece. If you want to watch the whole thirty minute clip, uh, he gives a good talk. Lots of dramatic pausing. And he live streamed it too. Oh, cool! Yeah, and then he, yeah, so that's up there. And the Ted Cruz YouTube channel has. <laughs> well, I, I, cut I down would love versions. to. I would love to hear. And I know we have an incredibly bright audience. Uh, what you guys think? Head over to our you know unfiltered subreddit mm-hmm. page, and you know once this post, uh, once this episode gets posted, let us know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's some probably some in- incredible ideas out there. What yeah. What are we, we missing? Because it seems like a disaster either way around. Yeah. It seems like uh, we're screwed. I do have some good news for cannabis users, though. That Bob Marley brand of uh, cannabis starting to get some traction. In many ways, Bob started this movement 50 years ago when he spoke at, about prohibition. And it was important for the family that, that Bob and Bob's family uh, be part of the, the end of prohibition. And so that was, that's what led us to launch now. So you do feel like we're getting to that point, because although this is on the legislative agenda in a Worst lot of places, um, we don't know what the time frame is. Are, are you making a bet here that we will see legalization start to become more widespread? Yes. Yeah, so we look at this as a, as a global movement. We're seeing change happening rapidly. Um, you know, the end of prohibition or legalization was on the ballot in five locations in the U.S., uh, a few weeks ago, and it received a majority of the vote in all five jurisdictions. Mm. Brendan, um, <laughs> I know, right? Here, uh, should, I, should I keep going? Is she active seems in this industry, but they've invested, or you've invested in the past in growing facilities. I understand, you know, website. So Bob Marley, she, these guys. So what? What the 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 meta version of the coverage here would be? Right. Uh, investors are are investing in different areas of the industry in the Bob Marley brand, which is you know probably just a licensed name. Uh, is coming out soon. Uh, we also had a couple of stories that are just uh, it linked up in the show notes there, Mr. Chase. Yes, uh, sir. Anyone in particular that jumped out at you want to cover? I got I got one more clip we could play. I actually have two, but they're both local, so I feel bad when we play only the I, local stuff. I know, but well, the, the one thing you know we we can talk about is you know history was made in Washington. Yeah, State. actually, U.S. history. Yeah, uh, you know, hey, Colorado might have beat us to the punch when it comes to you know getting getting, it, actually the, getting it out of there, but we did something. We beat them before they beat us was made today on a tiny farm outside Prosser, Washington. For the first time, marijuana was sold at an auction. And those in the retail pot business say it's a sign that supply is finally starting to catch up with demand. Not long ago, what happened on this small farm would have been incredibly illegal. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> it's going to be over soon. <laughs> 
Even now, most of the United States could never do what Randy Williams and his fireweed farms pulled off. Well, fireweed. I got a lot of calls of people that wanted product, and, and I didn't know how much to charge. The first marijuana auction, <laughs> true. 500 pounds of pot, Hell. all for sale. Yeah, I won't accept anything less than 1,500 a pound, or I'll wait till spring to sell it. Well, it's uh, 1 o'clock, huh? I don't think any more people are coming. It's... The nondescript tent started filling oh, up. No, this... The auction, a sign of more outdoor pot grows around the state. Look, how could these people be more any middle middle class? Middle America. Like yeah. white uh, business people. By, like... by the way, Prosser, in case you guys didn't know, it's a small, it's a speck on the map. Look at that gal. Central Washington. Like, look at these people that are, look at these people that are buying these are not what i would consider to be potheads it's no. so funny it's well just... maybe that guy is right there yeah that guy yeah. Yeah. the auction a sign of more Look outdoor pot grows around the state She's all grinning. that supply of retail marijuana is slowly catching up with demand despite the rural feel the state sanctioned sale had plenty of rules and oversight you cannot touch the product all you can do is look at it the crowd settled, and the sale began. Okay, here we go. 884 grams of it. Somebody give me three bucks for this one. Yep, I got three. Now ten. <laughs> yeah. That's now three dollars per three gram. Yeah. Oh, 20. Oh. I got 20. Now 30. 30. Thank you. Now 40. This is far from the price you would see in the stores. By the time it gets there, this pot will cost $25 per gram. Hey-o. I'm going to sell it. Yeah, because it's got to be what, analyzed and packaged. Taxed. Taxed. That's number five. Finally, the first sale. <laughs> Aaron Nelson from 2020 Solutions in Bellingham, the first buyer of auctioned marijuana for what he deemed a fair price. God, could that guy look any more like a farmer in those overalls, too? Right? This guy's just a straight-up pot farmer. Yeah. It's never been done before in the United States, and just the opportunity alone was exciting. I got 225 Somebody give me 30 A small farm in rural Washington. The latest sign of the changing marijuana landscape. What do you think? Oh, and by the way, yeah. this last bit here, here's where some of the money went. Not all the money went to that part pot farm. About $11,000 went to the Prosser School District. $11,000 in that auction went to the school district. And by the way, for a small school district, that's, that's a, huge. That's a really big deal. That's yeah. a really that's that's pretty I mean, neat, I think. Yeah, thought. totally. Uh, there's also uh, some. Uh, there's an opinion piece uh, that came. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm calling it an opinion piece. They didn't label it an opinion piece, but it was in Forbes uh, about why they think uh, legalization won't get blocked in D.C. Essentially, Initiative 71. That's the initiative that legalizes it. Cannot take place in a, in D.C. until after uh, Council Chairman have Congress review. Yeah, he's got to send it to Congress review. Exactly. But here's the thing. Uh, it's got like a massive public support, and so you know you get the new Republican majority. They come in there. The first thing they do is sh- is, sh- is shut down something that has widespread, uh, like seventy percent of the voters. Yeah, vote for. it was two thirds, two thirds at least. You, you can't yeah. shut that down. That no. can't be one of your first moves. No. And, and and by the way, if they just do nothing, it passes automatically. Right. So guess I, what they're I, good at? I think they're. <laughs> <laughs> I think what they're going to do is they're going to do nothing. I don't think they're going to put it to a vote. They're not, yeah. they're just going to let it go because if they even bring it up when there's other things that are much more important in right. the world, right. they're going to hear about it immensely. Uh, all right. So let's play one more local story because uh, right. this one, it is – this is definitely the downside to uh, – Cannabis being legalized in Washington state, I think. I think this will be a major loss. Seattle's medical marijuana stores may be forced to close next year. The city is requiring them to get state licenses, but 
There's no such thing as a state medical cannabis license. Now, we've been talking about this, and uh, think of it like this. So the the medical cannabis industry in Washington has been around for like a decade. Oh, longer than that, I think. Yeah, Yeah. I think so, too. I I think it's like 20 years. Yeah, it's close to that. uh, And the thing is, uh, it's so as a result of that, much more mature, much more established, and there's much higher security. Like you to go into one of these places, you have to be screened at the door. You know, you have to go behind a glass a glass wall. Mm-hmm. They check your ID. Yep. They make sure you're in the database as a medical patient. Yep. You also have a wider selection of goodies available to you that are cooler than what you get in the recreational stores. All this stuff. So you have people, and, and in these places, these people are medically trained. Like you can go in there and say, "I have a problem with X, Y, Z," and and they can, give a recommendation. And right? they say, "Okay, well here, there's one. This will get you kind of stoned. Here's one that'll just take care of the pain." and won't get you stoned at all. And this is something that's vitally important for people that are really struggling with some significant medical issues. King Fast Linda Brill is live in Seattle with the dilemma for providers and patients. Oh. This is a catch-22 for the medical marijuana industry in Seattle. The state issues recreational pot licenses, but not medicinal pot licenses. So that leaves the medical industry in Seattle in a lot of pain. Oh. Katie Boyder comes to a medical clinic to get medicine for pain. Got you all checked in? All right. She suffers from a connective tissue disorder that shattered her knee. Instead of pills, she takes marijuana. I'm not looking to smoke a bowl on the weekend or have a little bit at night after work. I'm actually using this to get well, and that means I need to use it consistently and in large volumes to be able to do so. That's a very expensive proposition. The products here are very different than what are found in a recreational pot shop. There are oils, creams, edibles to curb pain for many ailments and syndromes, patches to put on joints. So this is going to make you well. It has CBD, which will make you well, as opposed to the THC, which gets you high. This store, Seattle Medical Marijuana, may have to close next year. The letter from Seattle demands the owner get a state license, which the state does not issue. could be conceived as a cease and desist. This is... uh, You know, not yet, but this is something that we hope the state will come out and implement some type of licensing for medical marijuana. What do you think, Chase? First off, I don't understand why the city of Seattle is doing this. Because the city of Seattle is not stupid. They realize that the state doesn't have a licensing I, program. I, I think they're doing it on behest of the state. Oh, and that and that's that was my next point yeah. is this is a backhanded way yes. of forcing regulation. Right. Yeah. And uh, and of course to get Thinking licensed, Seattle wants to rule the state. To get licensed, you'll have to sell everything that's been checked by the state. See, the other thing is, is these a lot of these medical places use a community co-op system where some of the patients themselves are growing. They're grow there because some of them are, you know, they're like uh, they're retired vets or they're in a really bad financial spot where they couldn't afford the medicine, but they can contribute by growing. They can then grow the medicine and they sell it back to the medical place, and it's right. like this. It's this. Yeah, it's a co-op. It's exactly. like any co-op. Yeah, and so there's no way they're going to license that no because in the license system it's like they say checked from seed to stem or whatever yeah, yeah yeah and so it's it's a bit of a tragedy because uh at the end of the day it's people with genuine medical issues that are going to get fucked by this do you think there'll be uh like kind of a rise up or coalition to, to fight this against the city i mean why why Maybe. Would, it, you know it's just it, very weird that the city would all of a sudden want to do this or oh, uh, i don't think it's there's nothing sudden about it we've been tracking this for months well, oh, well no i know but what i mean is it's like 
now that it's legalized, now they're pushing this issue. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the thing. Yeah. And and uh, there's also, we had a story uh, about massive revenues they project through 2019. I didn't grab it for the show notes. No, but. yeah, huge mil- millions of revenues. Yeah. And, you know, they, they talked about it. Now, once supply catches up, then, you know, people feel like, oh, now I can just roll in and, and yeah. pick up a joint or whatever. And the supply is starting to catch up a little bit, it sounds like, based on the fact they're holding auctions and whatnot. Oh, yeah, totally. So uh, we'll keep following that just because I think as other states and places legalize, they're going to run into the same problem. We yeah. are, we're the prototype here in Washington, but this kind of conflict isn't going to be unique to our area. It's and a the, shame. And the thing is, they're, you know, we're going to hear about Colorado. They're going to be like, well, look, the medical the marijuana industry in Colorado is regulated. You should be able to do it there. And, yeah, and, yeah. That's, and that's where, you know, we're all. You know, I just hope it. I hope it doesn't end and we shut down something that gives relief to people that are suffering. There's and I so think that'd many be a real people shame. that I know who self-medicate and they had no other options, cancer patients yeah. and things of that nature. Neurological and, disorders, yeah. all kinds of stuff yeah. that are really awful to live with. Yeah. Well, uh, but you know what? You know yeah. what, Chase? Yes. We'll keep tracking it. We'll keep, a, we'll keep them honest here on the Unfiltered Show. And you can yeah. help us keep them honest. You can help us track stories like this, anything we've covered or anything you think we should be covering in this show. And let the vote speak. Unfiltered.reddit.com. Boom, Bob's your uncle. Go there. You go there right now. There's over 1,618 of you who signed up and be- become readers. But not only readers, you need to submit. You need to comment. We want to hear from you guys on these Reddits. Because I know there's a lot of great stories on here, but sometimes we need the context. So we would yeah. love to hear from you guys. Yeah. Head over to the community there. And there's some good stories, too, in there that didn't make it into the show. If you want to read up about them, they're, was, they're pretty good. Yeah, and you no, get like a little extra stuff, unfilter on your own. Video stuff. All the neat stuff. Now, Chris, during the course of the week, you yes, know, you're telling people about shows, even a new show that just launched That's on right. JB. That's right. Where can people go to find you? Twitter.com slash Chris LAS. I'll, I'll also point people to Jupiter.gift. We've got some holiday swag Wait, up there for a limited time. Gift? A new domain? Jupiter.gift. We got the hoodie, the last hoodie up there, a sweet JB Polo. I just got a new version of the test shirt to this morning. It's the, it's the nicest polo material I've ever felt. It's awesome. Jupiter.gift for that. Chase, are you on the Twitters? I am. I recently switched up my stuff. You're you're on my Twitter. Hey, look, look at that. The, That's at, me. I'm you. podcasting. You're podcasting with me. And probably about four or five shots of Jaeger in right there. <laughs> Yeah, you broke the chair shortly thereafter. <laughs> At Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. And uh, if I was going to watch one of them podcasts, Chase, where would I do that? Uh, you can do that at GeekGamer.tv, where ah. lots of Minecraft and geeky and gaming stuff are always You know, uh, next week is Thanksgiving Eve, so That's we're right. going to need everybody to show up, because we're probably going to have a, lo- a low turnout in the live stream, so there- now is your opportunity to come here and represent yep. JBLive.tv, JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that in your local time zone at 6 p.m. Pacific. That's right. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Unfiltered. We'll see you right back here next week. Epic Ronald Jenkins music to take us out, Chase. You know, I know we couldn't play the clip on the show. Yeah. We're still recording. I know. Are you talking about the SNL thing? Yeah. I know. I, I want... It's in the supporters thing. Oh, I know. It's it's so good. It is good. It's super funny. They got funny. some better writers this year, I think. They yeah. got some better writers on SNL. That year. was a good one. All right, jbtitles.com. You guys go look at the overtime folder because I the reason why I can't do it is because I played one the, a couple of weeks ago and I got I got like I, a, know. I got like a, a mark on my account. You're for like, it. They really hate it when you do the SNL <laughs> they stuff. They do. 
Who's your bag daddy? That's pretty good. Uh, I like something with the uh, volcanoes of jihad. That's not bad, right? That is so good. I w- yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. Smells like FBI spirit. That's pretty good, too. Explode volcano of jihad. Chris's mom. Hey, I like that one. Hey, no. Hey, oh. Uh, radicalized internet. Radicalized internet porn. Chain link ISIS. <laughs> USA versus the world. Volcanoes of jihad again. Volcano of jihad without the S. Uh... That was like a volcano of jihad. JBTitles.com, everybody. Let's boat. Boat, 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 boat. So when you took back your iPhone, they're like, nobody takes these back. What are you doing? No, actually, the agent was really, really cool about That's it. That's good. Our agent. What did I say? Agent. The genius, you mean? The genius. Uh, so, so my return, by the way, was very, very blitzkrieg. So I was at, I, I did it on my lunch break. So I, I work about 10 minutes from Alderwood Mall. Oh, okay. So I jump on the 405, and it takes me 10 minutes to find a parking spot. I'm oh, so pissed geez, off. I hate that about Alderwood. Oh, I the know. worst thing. I know. I know. So I get there, and uh, I you know, find a guy you know, just randomly, and he's like, how can I help you? And I'm like, I like to bring back the iPhone. Um, he goes, so you just didn't like it or what? And we started talking about it. And believe it or not, Chris, he beli- he, he I don't know if he really meant this honestly, but he's like, no, I totally hear you, man. I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, I was like, I was a little. Yeah, it's almost weird how they don't upsell you a bunch there sometimes. No, and he didn't even probably turn on happens. The, he didn't but... even turn on the phone to see if it worked when I was there. I guess no sweat off their balls. They just turn around and sell them. Yeah, I'm sure they have. It's like, all right, we got a phone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then like 20 people walk out. Like, I'll take it. I'll yeah, take it. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the funny thing is, when I was in Portland uh, and we were looking for a phone, there was a line, a, like a a cute line in front of the Apple store, and we were walking up the Apple store, and we're like. And there's an Apple employee there, and we're like, what's this line for? Do we have to get in line to go in the store? And he goes, no, no, no. These are just people waiting in line to get an unlocked iPhone. Yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah, still. Like, still. they're in line. Still. I know. Uh, and uh, you know what, though? I think the OnePlus is going to be a sweet phone once Lollipop comes out. I mean, Lollipop is really I nice. Know. I know. And I, I know there's some development versions of it yeah. that people have made. I'm running I'm- on my Nexus 5, and I've stopped using Ubuntu Touch, Sailfish OS, and Firefox uh, OS because I like so it this so much. So is, this is the, the not the hacked Lollipop. This is the, the full lo- Lollipop now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, it was never hacked. Well, I thought you had like the, a development build before. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's legit. It's not well, hacked. well, not hacked. Per se. Hacked is a wrong word, but I mean, like some things may not work yeah, or be yeah. broken. Yeah. Or like bugs. That. Yeah, bugs. All right, JB titles. Let's see where the votes are at. See if they've earned themselves their uh, their. Uh, you know what? You know what they get if they've if they've all. Yeah, voted. I know what they get. Volcanoes of jihad is pulling ahead. It's that is I, so. Should good. we go with it? What's our imagery? Just something ISIS. Uh, you you can do. Um, I if you can get a picture of the uh, the desert fence. You know, I don't know. Oh, yeah. work. Or. Uh, Mount yeah. Kilimanjaro. I like doing people's faces, though. Oh, I know. Yeah. Um, Outback Daddy. Yeah, I was thinking Outback Daddy, but Al I don't know rec- would people recognize him. And I don't know if there's any high-resolution shots of him. Uh, but either way, they've done their job, Well, Chase. CIA, if the CIA can put it together a picture, I think we can get a picture. I think we probably could. But they've, I think they want it. Since they've, since they've did their part, Chase, yeah. uh, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, you earned this. Enjoy. I'm driving off laughing. This is what I'll say. <laughs> All right. Uh. Okay. That's right. All right, Jared. Uh. Thank you very much for being here today. Join us next week. Thanksgiving Eve. We're going to have turkey in the studio, right, Chris? Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, Chase. I'm going to have a drumstick in one hand. Marie Callender's turkey. And ISIS in the... <laughs> no. Wait, that doesn't work. Uh, so we'll need you. We'll need you because everybody else is going to be out fantasizing about turkeys. 
So I, I think we're going to have a good uh, outside the U.S. turnout, yep. and then we're going to have people that don't have family turnout. So if you're not in that category, we need you. We will adopt you next <laughs> yes. Wednesday. We will be your family. Yes, yeah. come on by. <laughs> we'll we'll uh, shoot around the, the Thanksgiving table. All right, everybody. See you back here next week. We love your faces. Love you.